have a Bible handy, I would encourage you to turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 25. Uh, That's the first book in your Bible, the first book in the Old Testament. Uh, Last week, I started a little sermon series that I'm calling People Problems. And we're going to use a book that I read by a guy named Dr. Alan Godwin. And the title of his book is People Problems, which is where I got the name for the sermon series. But we're going through the book of Genesis and we're looking at some of the people problems, the family problems that we see all throughout this book. Now we're going to spend some time in chapters 25 and 27 over the next few minutes. So if you have a hard copy of the Bible, some of the text will be on the screen. Uh, Some I will paraphrase. So I always encourage people to follow along in their own copy of the text. And hopefully that will help you out and help you grow and maybe uh, give you something to look at after this is over to keep studying or have a discussion with your family. Now, I don't know what people problems means to you or sounds like to you, but if you've experienced that in your home life, it might be helpful to take uh, healthy steps right now to look at your family members or your brother or your sister. Look at them. Look them in the eye right now and just say, I'm sorry. And then maybe look at them and say, I forgive you. Those are two helpful words if you find yourself in the middle of conflict or tension to be willing to forgive and to also be willing to say, I'm sorry. Dr. Alan Godwin says that relationships can fulfill us the most, but they can also hurt us the most. These relationships that we desire, whether it's with family or friends or companionship or marriage or whatever it may be, these relationships, that's how God has wired us and designed us. So we want to draw near to people and get close with them. But when we do that, we increase the potential of being hurt. And one of the ways that I've been hurt before, or maybe I've hurt others, and maybe you've experienced this in your own life, uh, one of the ways that we hurt each other and we do damage in relationships is through deceit. When I was in elementary school, there was a, a student at school with us that would, would show up every day at school and he would tell us these elaborate stories. I mean, this you would think he lived this incredible life. He would tell us stories about all the celebrities that he had met, all the experiences that he's had, all the cool stuff that he had at his house. We thought he was pretty awesome, but the more that he would talk, the more we started to think, this seems too good to be true. So me and a few of my friends, we did a little research. And what we figured out is that this kid was lying. Most of what he was saying was not true. We figured this out as nine-year-olds. Well, when this kid figured out that we had him figured out, guess what he did? He started telling more lies to try to cover up the lies that he had already told. And that's kind of the web that you get caught in if you start telling lies. You either have to fess up, yes, I was not truthful, I told a lie, or you have to tell more lies to try to cover up that. So this kid wound up earning this reputation that he was a pathological liar. That's what people referred to him as. And anytime he talked, anytime he told a story, anytime he opened his mouth, we had to question whether or not what he was saying was true, or if there was some elements of truth to it, we just weren't real sure. Um, And if you hear that story, you may think, hey, that's a good lesson for kids to hear because we want our kids to grow up and be honest people. But if we're honest with ourselves as adults, as teenagers, however old you are as you're watching this, this may be something that you still struggle with. And maybe only you and God know it, that you struggle with bending the truth, you struggle with lying, you struggle with deceit. Or maybe you're thinking, no, I'm always telling the truth. Well, maybe we struggle with lying to ourselves. 
Uh, plenty of times in my life and in the lives of many others that I've known, whether it's a sin, a habit, an addiction, or whatever it may be, we tell ourselves, it's okay, it's not hurting anyone. Or we say things like, everybody else struggles with it. Uh, or it's not that big of a deal. Sometimes we lie to ourselves, and sometimes we try to lie to God, but we know that we can't lie to God because God knows all things. And the story that we're looking at today is a story of Jacob and his family, and it's a story of deceit. It's a story of a guy who made a habit of lying to try to get what he wants. And I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 25, and, and we'll read verse 23, and we'll kind of go through there. So Rebecca, Jacob's mom, is pregnant, and what God tells her in verse 23 is, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples born of you shall be divided. One will be stronger than the other, and the elder will serve the younger. These are the words of God himself to Rebecca. And what she's told is what's going to take place, what's going to be the life of Jacob and Esau, but it's not just between Jacob and Esau. This is actually a theme that we see all throughout the book of Genesis. Sibling rivalry. Maybe you've experienced it in your own life. Another theme in Genesis is the opposite of primogeniture, which means instead of the elder sibling receiving the inheritance or the blessing, usually it's the younger sibling in the book of Genesis. So it's uh, Isaac over Ishmael, Jacob over Esau, or Joseph rather than his older brothers. And there's going to be conflict. There's going to be division between these two brothers. And we'll move on, verse 24 through 26. It says, When her time to give birth was at hand... There were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy mantle, so they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she, when he bore, when she bore them. So Isaac is getting on up there in age, and now he has twins, Jacob and Esau. And what we're told from the description is that they're very different from each other. I read this news story several years ago, and a couple went in. Uh, the wife was getting ready to, to give birth. She was going into labor. It was New Year's Eve, 2016, Glendale, Arizona. And she goes into labor, and she gives birth to twins, and she gives birth to her firstborn son at 11.51 p.m. Ten minutes later, she gave birth to her next son at 12.01 a.m., so one kid was born in 2016, the other was born in 2017. I laugh when I think about that story because I'm thinking about these two kids growing up and trying to explain to teachers or whatever adults are in their life, we really are twins, we're not lying, we're just born in different years. Well, I don't know if Jacob and Esau were born in different years, I think they were, maybe that's not the case with them, but what we see with Jacob and Esau is that they are so different from each other. Not only with the way that they look, their physical appearance, but we're told in verse 27, when the boys grew up, uh, Esau was a skillful, skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man living in tents. So now we're, we're not only learning about their physical appearance, but we're learning about uh, just how different their personalities are, their hobbies, the things they like to do. Uh, Esau likes to be outdoors. He's a, a hunter. You know, he's a, a man of the field, but Jacob, he's quiet. He likes to be inside. But not only do we learn about the two boys, we learn a lot about their parents as well. And in verse 28, 
To me, this is a sad verse. It says, Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Another theme in the book of Genesis is parents playing favorites. I'm no expert parents. I'm no expert parent myself. I'm not going to write any books on parenting, but I can tell you one thing. We probably shouldn't follow their lead of Isaac and Rebecca and some of the other parents we see in Genesis of playing favorites. Each kid that we have is going to be unique, but we love them equally. And the mistake that's made here is they're, they're openly choosing favorites between their two kids, which kind of spills out into the way they treat each other, which will also spill out into later on when Jacob has his own family. And then in verse 29, they're, we don't know how old they are at this point, but they've grown up a little bit. And we get this little story here. It says, Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was famished. Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stuff, for I am famished. I can identify with Esau here. There's been times where when I'm really hungry, it's hard to think about anything else. It's hard to think straight. Jacob said, first, sell me your birthright in verse 31. Right away, from this little detail here, what we get is Jacob is a little bit sneaky. There's just something about his character. It's like his brother comes in, his brother's starving, he has food prepared, and instead of being nice and giving him the food, he's like, no, you've got to give me something. And Esau in verse 32 said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and the stew, and he ate and drank, and he rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. If I'm being honest at this point, if you were to ask me, uh, who's your favorite Bible character? Jacob would not be on the list at all. There's just something about his character that I am not drawn towards. He seems deceitful. He's sneaky. There's something about him, right? But it's not just Jacob that's in the wrong. Esau is also in the wrong. In the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16 and 17, we're told that Esau was godless. And the way that Esau behaves here is he's impulsive and he's just thinking in the moment and he can't think of anything else. He can't think of the bigger picture. He's just caught up in that moment. He just wants food and he's willing to sell his birthright, which shows that he doesn't really appreciate it that much. So at the end of chapter 25, what we see is the title of this sermon series. We have people problems and we have family problems. This family, the family of four, Parents are showing favoritism. The brothers are very different from each other. Instead of celebrating their differences, we're focused in on, instead of celebrating that, we're focused in on the conflict that's caused because of their differences. And this is all going to kind of come to a head in chapter 27. So turn over to uh, Genesis 27. I'm going to paraphrase some of this, but then I'm going to really focus on a few verses from chapter 27. Uh, If you're like me, you might have grown up going to Bible class and you were taught these stories growing up and it sounds familiar to you. Maybe some of you have never read these or it's been a long time since you've read it, so let me fill you in what's going on. Uh, Isaac is now very old at this point. He's blind, he's on his deathbed, and even though Esau sold his birthright to Jacob, Isaac either doesn't know about that or he doesn't care because he calls Esau in and he says, it's time, go hunting, go kill me some game and Cook it for me, and then I'm going to give you that official blessing. So Isaac gets Esau prepared for that blessing, while at the same time, Rebekah is 
listening in. And when she hears about this, she goes and she gets Jacob and she gets Jacob prepared to steal the blessing. And what they do is they come up with this plan where uh, she goes into Esau's room. She takes some of his clothes. She puts fake hair on Jacob or goat's hair, goat skin, so that Jacob would feel like Esau, would smell like Esau and wear the same clothes as Esau. So while Esau's off hunting, with the help of his mom, with the direction of his mom, Rebecca, Jacob is sent into the tent, into the room where Isaac is to steal the blessing. And I want to slow down here and pick up in verse 18 when Jacob enters the room. So he went in to his father and he said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game so that you may bless me. There's lie number one. Who are you? And instead of being honest and saying, I'm Jacob, he says, I'm Esau. Verse 20. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. There's lie number two. How did you get it? Well, God gave me success. It's not true because he's lying. Verse 21, then Isaac said to Jacob, come near that I may fill you, my son, and know whether or not you are really my son Esau or not. Isaac is on to it. He, he can't see, but he knows something is up here. Something's different. So he's questioning it. So Jacob went up to his father Isaac in verse 22, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. There's lie number three where Jacob has made himself to appear to and not only is he claiming to be Esau, but he appears to feel like Esau, to smell like Esau. Verse 23, he did not recognize him because his hands uh, were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. He said to him, are you really my son Esau? And he answered him, I am. There's lie number four, five, six, seven. You could just keep on going because Jacob has to lie his way through this thing to gain this Blessing from his father by deceit, by lies. Uh, there's a guy named John Allen Turner that wrote this book called uh, Crazy Stories, Sane God. And what he does is he takes all these stories through Old and New Testament that are just seem crazy to us, and each chapter is devoted to a different story. And the chapter on the story of Jacob, John Allen Turner confesses in his book, he says, I am Jacob. He says, I can identify with Jacob here because I've spent a lot of my life lying. I lie to get what I want. I lie to get out of trouble. I lie to people to control the perception that others have of me. He said, I've made a habit of lying in my life so I can identify with Jacob. I am Jacob. And then he goes on to write in this book. He says, we Jacobs, we know that the things that we gain through deception must be maintained by deception. So the path that, that Jacob has entered into here by lying to his father, by uh, teaming up with his mom, by stealing the blessing, he's gained it through deception. And the problem with that, kind of like my friend from elementary school, is once you start telling lies, you either fess up and own up to it, or you have to tell more lies to try to cover up those first lies. So the things that we gain through deception, must be maintained by deception. And this is the life that Jacob has entered into. So he gets the blessing from his dad, from Isaac. 
And then we're told in verse 30 that uh, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of his father Isaac, his brother Esau came in from his hunting. So you can feel the suspense in this is just right after Jacob steals this blessing and receives it officially, Esau comes in and he's ready. And then you read in the following verses, they discover together, both Isaac and Esau, that they've been deceived. That Jacob has swooped in with the help of his mom and stolen the blessing. And in that culture, there was just something about that paternal blessing that once it was given, it could not be revoked. And you can hear the pain in Esau's voice as he cries out and he begs for some sort of blessing from his dad, but it's too late. So what do you do if you're Esau? Have you ever been on the receiving end of deception? I'm sure some of you have. Some of you you know what that feels like to be deceived by someone else. And what would you do if you were Esau? If now you've been tricked twice by your brother, how would you feel? What would that conversation look like? How would you handle it? Well, here's what Esau does. We're told in verse 41, Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So his plan is... In that world, when somebody passed away, there was a seven-day mourning period. And when Isaac passes away, when those seven days are gone, Esau said, I'm going to kill you. I'm coming to get you. When dad's gone, when the mourning period is over, I am coming to get my revenge. Which again shows the impulsive nature of Esau. But I can, when I read the story, I can identify with Esau because I'm thinking, I would be mad too. I would be really upset also. Well, Rebecca hears this. He hears, she hears that the Esau is planning his revenge. So she takes her son that she loves, Jacob, and she says, go to my brother Laban, go far away, take some time to be away from Esau and to let him cool down. Eventually, she thinks, after a while, his anger will subside and maybe we can get back to some sort of normalcy or maybe Jacob can come back. So she sends Jacob on his way, but what she doesn't realize is that she's never going to see Jacob again. She'll be long gone before Jacob ever comes back home, and he doesn't come home for 20 years. So Jacob spends his next 20 years on the run, running from his brother Esau, but maybe even running from himself. Because of the deception that he's already caused, You can only stay in certain places for so long because your lies eventually catch up to you. And it's somewhat ironic that a few chapters later, when Jacob wants to marry Rachel, he works seven years so that he can marry her. And then on the wedding night, he's tricked and he winds up marrying Leah. And then he has to wait seven more years to actually marry Rachel. And that you find that Genesis chapter 29 And when you read that, you almost think, man, I feel sorry for Jacob. He was treated poorly. I mean, he was tricked. He worked seven years and he had worked seven more years. And man, speaking of family problems, that family was really messed up. But I don't feel sorry for Jacob. 
Because the deceiver winds up on the other end of the deception. There's this old saying, and you've probably used it before, what goes around comes around. Or I think uh, about the Bible and some of the comments that you can think of, and a, a quote that's coming to mind is, you reap what you sow. The Apostle Paul says this in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, you reap what you sow. Jesus in Luke chapter 6, he says, with the measure that you use, it will be used against you. And Jacob learns this the hard way. The deceiver becomes the one deceived. And this is part one of the Jacob story. We're not getting into all the details, but we'll look next week when Jacob finally comes back home to meet Esau. But after 20 years, he's learned some hard lessons and he's going to come back a changed man. But we read through these stories and these characters in the Old Testament and uh, the Hebrew Scriptures and the book of Genesis. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking, these are interesting. Uh, Man, these families are really messed up. I mentioned last week that uh, it would make a lot of episodes of the Jerry Springer show because of how crazy and messed up some of these families are. But what do we learn from it? Like, what do we, how do we apply this to our life? What, what do we take from it? Because we don't want to mimic what we see in Isaac and Rebecca playing favorites. We don't want to mimic what we see in Esau's impulsive behaviors. We don't want to mimic what we see in Jacob's deceitfulness. So as we read these stories, and I mentioned last week, I read them through the lens of Jesus. There's one or two takeaways I want to share with you. And one of those is that Jesus calls us to a life of honesty and integrity. He basically, life in the kingdom of God, life in following Christ is the opposite of the Jacob way. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 37, Jesus says these now famous words, let your yes be yes and your no, no. The life that Jesus displayed for us and that he calls us into as disciples is to be honest people full of integrity. To be people who are honest with others. So when we deal with people, whether it's our family member, friends, co-workers, whoever it may be, they know that when we say something, we're going to do it. Or when we say something, they can trust it because as followers of Jesus, we're honest people. Honest people are also honest with themselves. Uh, We can be honest with others, but sometimes we have to figure out what it looks like to be honest with ourselves and to be honest with God. The way of the kingdom of God is the opposite direction of what we read about in this part of the Jacob story. But another takeaway that I think would be important to share with you is that God can redeem our mess. Because I can say it over and over again, go read through Genesis. These families are messed up. There is a lot of crazy problems, but yet, even with the Jacob story, God is not done with him yet. God is still working on him. He's going to learn some hard lessons, but he's going to play an important role. And his kids will play an important role. God is still in the business of redeeming and reconciling. There's a preacher named Jeff Vines who once, many years ago, traveled to Rwanda, Africa, And while he was there, he was asked to visit a prison. And this was a a special prison because it was where a lot of the murderers from the Rwandan genocide were held. So he goes in to visit this prison, and while he's there, they know he's a preacher. They put him on the spot, as sometimes happens, and they said, do you have a word from the Lord for these prisoners? Which he 
didn't at the time. I guess he didn't have a sermon prepared. So he said, okay. And he said a quick prayer and just asked for God to give him the word. So in front of all these prisoners, the first thing that came to his mind was a children's story. And he told the story about a brother and a sister, two little kids. The brother collected marbles and he had a jar of marbles. And the sister collected candy and she had a a jar full of candy. And the brother and the sister had a discussion and they decided that they were going to do an even trade. His jar of marbles for her jar of candy. And the trade would take place the next day. So they'd sleep on it, make the trade the next day. Well, that night, the little boy went through the jar of marbles and he picked out five of the most precious marbles, his favorite ones, and he hid them in his drawer and he kept those five back for himself. So the next day, they make the trade and he has the candy now. She, the sister has the marbles They go to bed that night, and the sister sleeps soundly. She sleeps peacefully, but the little boy couldn't sleep, and he found himself roaming the hallway of his house that night, thinking to himself, I wonder if she kept back some of the candy. He's kind of, the little boy was like, Jacob, once you live a life of deception, your deception may keep you up at night, and it's going to cause more problems for you. Well, when Jeff Vines told that story to all these prisoners, he said they started booing which he thought was ironic because of why they were in prison and they're booing about this boy holding back five marbles. But regardless, they didn't like that part of the story. And what he wound up telling them was, if you give God all of your sins, he will give you all of his forgiveness. And the way that Jesus calls us into is he doesn't call us to be perfect first to follow him. He just says, pick up your cross and follow me. The journey of discipleship begins in baptism, but it's a journey throughout our lives where we continue to mature. And as we mature, we become honest people, people filled with integrity. But we know there's grace and truth in there that we're also messed up people and that God is still in the business of redeeming and reconciling. Uh, Right now, I'm going to end this portion of our worship service And I'm going to invite one of our shepherds, James Stewart. He's going to come up here, and he has a few words to share with you. And then after that, we're going to sing another song. So stick with us for a few more minutes, and we're glad you joined us today.